0: Hello there, and welcome to the Yoga Better podcast. There are a lot of reasons to do a podcast, and there's a lot of reasons not to do a podcast. And uh, I figured for the first episode, uh, here in our new series, fully redone, reformatted, and presented to you live in HD. As in, we have a lot of definitions. We're highly defined. Uh, We spend this first hour uh, just going over what in the world is yoga better? Uh, who am I? My experience? I'll pull in my wife when we start talking about why we have a studio, why, what we do in our business, and to give you a little taste of who we are, we're going to be doing a lot of interviews, have a lot of we connections with some pretty amazing people. We've been doing some pretty cool interviews, preparing for this podcast, and I just like listening to good conversations. And the truth is, if we set up a mic in front of most of the kinds of conversations we have with the people that we talk to. This is the kind of stuff that I would love to just be a fly on the wall and listen to. And so, why not do the work? Let's make this thing happen, and we'll bring some of these conversations to your ears. And without further ado, let's get started. Hey, Andrea. Welcome to Hey, Andrea. It's where we talk. Talk to Andrea. This
1: girl all this today, because I, I had gotten in a tube, and the thing we did mostly is we... <clears throat> it's like a lazy river with a wave generator. It smushes you into everybody, and, and there's this lady that my feet were in her face, and I couldn't get my feet out of her face, and we were laughing about it, and then she pretended to bite my foot, she was like, ah. I was like, "Ooh! Those, those were quite the opposite of Free toes, and she laughed so hard. Anyways, that was funny. Being outside, I was going to say smelling, but not so much, because right now. There's lots of cars, but, just seeing the kind of birds that are out, or the different trees, or just feeling the air on my skin.
0: That's because you're naked right now?
1: Yeah, is that not normal? I mean, what else would I be? Clothed? Mostly the birds, but just also it's kind of meditative. I'm moving my body, I like moving my body around. It's not running, but running's not really good for you anyway. So I tell myself. It's like something you could do forever. Till my last breath, hopefully, I'll be walking. Unless I have, you know, a lot of problems. Hopefully that's not the case, but I like doing things that I'll be able to do forever. Oh, I also, it's nice to walk whenever you're with me. It's nice to just exist together, or with the kids. That's it.
0: So maybe one way to start is, I'll read to you this little blurb we wrote. It's a little card. If you ever make it to our studio here in Houston, Texas, you can take one of these. It's really nicely printed and it reads, Yoga Better was born of a simple inquiry. When we do yoga and feel amazing, what is really happening? The inherited tradition would explain it in terms of cosmic energy and the spirit, all wrapped in a mystical burrito. What if we attempted to explain yoga's beautiful phenomena using only what we can test? Using only anatomy, mechanics, with little sojourns into psychology and cognition, We've arrived at a style unlike anything you've tried before. Clear language, compassionate, and uncommonly knowledgeable teachers, and an emphasis on growing while having fun. That's yoga Better. So, you know, I love the challenge of defining what it is we do. And in short, that actually is sort of one of the ways we are different. It is the willingness to define, to systematize, to document, is one of the highlights, one of the things that we do. I would say we do it well. We have done it for a long time. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. Uh, maybe we can talk just a tiny little bit about how we got here. So I do yoga. I teach yoga. I teach here in Houston, Texas. Took my first yoga class in November of 1996. I just described this to our most recent teacher training, and I, here's how I described it. When I was young, by the time I was 10, I was an ardent atheist. As an 8-, 910 year old here's what I would have said to you about something like the Bible. Really, in-your-face, know-it-all, atheist, I would have said, the Bible is a book of answers for people who can't accept how afraid of death they are and can not accept acknowledging that they just don't know. And so they need to know something. And the Bible and religious doctrine and dogma in general give you those answers. And so I, from a very early age, was kind of an obnoxiously intense know-it-all in this way, and I was a classical musician. And so that doesn't help because if you've never known a classical musician, classical musicians just basically spend all day, every day, by themselves in a room practicing, turning themselves into robots. And, you know, making music is a beautiful, evocative, emotional thing, but to develop the skill to be able to do it, it's very, very robotic. You know, and so what I did as a as a I played double bass in the orchestras and you know I always knew I was going to do that I knew I was going to be a musician from nine years old on I knew I was going to be a classic musician from the moment I started playing violin and when you're in the orchestra your job is to play perfectly in a way that you don't stick out and so when you play Beethoven you play Beethoven perfectly like Beethoven when you play Bach, you play like Bach. When you play Schumann, you play like Schumann. Tchaikovsky, Dvořák, it's all different. Debussy is not played like Mozart. And you learn how to speak with other people's voices. You learn how to blend and match perfectly with, in my case, the seven other bassists to your left and right. You you work really, really hard to become perfect. And you do that by being alone. And I ruined my body doing that. I. I don't know if you know this, but bodies have different proportions. I am a normal-sized man. I'm 5'11", which I think is like the average, perfect average in the middle. But most of my height is from my spine, which means I have tiny little baby short arms, tiny little baby hands. I play the biggest instrument in the orchestra. I play the hardest-to-play instrument in the orchestra that that sort of necessitates pretty darn big hands. So you have a huge advantage if you have hands that are bigger than mine. And you have a huge disadvantage if you have tiny little baby arms and tiny baby hands. And so for me to play, I was very good, but I had to distort my body a lot. And by the time I was, I mean, I was in in constant everyday back pain from 15 on. I can remember being a 13-year-old writhing on the floor in discomfort from playing my instrument and carrying it around and slouching and not knowing that slouching was the problem. So I play for this guy Turns out to be the professor at Rice University. He says, I want you to study with me in the fall. He turns the card over and it has this guy's name. Robert Bustani, 713-526, blah, 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 blah. And Robert has a studio here in Houston. It was one block north of Rice at the time. So I was introduced to yoga going into my junior year in high school. The moment I tried it, I knew I was going to do it. It took me years to really commit to a practice. And what made me commit to the practice was on my back, my body, my shoulders just got worse and worse and worse. When I finally committed to yoga, I jumped full. And my first commitment was just three days a week. It made, I knew I could feel it make a difference. And that was in November, January, Robert was teaching. Started teacher training. Uh, there's lots of silly stories around all of this, but I I jumped right in, absolutely not interested in being a teacher, I wanted to know as much as I possibly could about yoga, I wanted to feel better, and at the time I was traveling around the country taking auditions, I was going to be a bass player. About halfway through that teacher training, I quite randomly got a job teaching yoga, and I gave myself a year to quit, but I very quickly realized that when I I got more out of teaching yoga than I did out of classical music, and that the way I put it then is that the yoga was great for my bass playing and the bass playing was terrible for my yoga. It just made me feel terrible. And so I looked at my teacher, who at the time was 62 or 65, still young, but he had an, all the same body problems I was having at 20 something. And I just said, Do I want to experience this for the next 50 years? And I quit. And it didn't hurt that every person I said that I was quitting and selling my $30,000 instrument, the young ones are like, oh yeah, totally. you're crazy. I can't believe it. Uh, but the guys who've been sort of grinding in the symphony for years, they, I mean, one of them just said, this is actually in backstage of Jones Hall here in Houston, said, if I could have quit when I was your age, I, I would go back and quit. It's just for the simple reason that I felt terrible. What I didn't know, even when I started yoga, is that I actually had a bulging disc Two joints of spinal thesis in my lower back, lots of weird issues with my neck, uh, imbalances, and you know chiropractors would have a field day describing the subluxation and weird alignment. I was giving myself scoliosis. Uh, when I started yoga I weighed 40 pounds more than I do right now. I come from a very unhealthy life. I was unhealthy when I started yoga and the way I did yoga, as taught, as trained, hurt me more. I felt better I felt freer, I didn't have the same kind of problems, I dropped a whole bunch of weight, but while doing the standard practice, I herniated a disc. While doing the standard practice, I've torn every joint in my body. Everything there is to tear, I've torn it. And so, I won't go too deep into the spiritual practice that developed, but I just, at some point, had to ask the question. The way my teacher would put it is, okay, if you have, you got a pain in your neck, there's a weird thing in your shoulder, it's not just muscles, not even just fascia, it's a derangement or a blocking or some kind of issue with the subtle energy that runs through your body. And I would have, I went from being an ardent atheist to somebody who would justify certain yoga poses over other yoga poses based on their impact on our chakras. And we'll definitely do some podcasts on that whole journey. It's super interesting to me. I at one time had an entire bookcase full of Indian classical yoga texts, I've read all of them, I've studied all this stuff, and I currently don't believe any of it. And yet I teach yoga. So to me, it's an interesting question. Uh, why call it yoga? Why, do, why incorporate some things and not others? If you, if you look at this little thing, there's two big questions. First is, when we do yoga and feel amazing, what is really happening? And then part of it is, what if we attempted to explain yoga's beautiful phenomena? using only what we can test. Testability, of course, is the foundation of any kind of scientific thinking. I am not a scientist. I'm a classical musician turned yoga instructor, but I love pretending to be a scientist. And talking about science, I actually teach a bunch of scientists, train more than 150 people through our teacher training, and one of the things we do in the teacher training, which is the documentation of everything that I know that makes a difference. I teach you. There's, I don't hold anything back in the level one teacher training. When we do anything else for graduates, it's to reinforce, to deepen it, but there's no secrets. There's no level seven stuff. We do all the levels in the in the first teacher training. And in the first teacher training, having put every single thing I know, every claim, every, every proclamation, every guess, in the course I actually require that if you're going to take the teacher training that you find one thing wrong with the course and in more than 150 people one person has found one thing I used one word wrong lots of typos typos don't count (laughs) but thank you for finding the typo. you want to interface with your uh, information in a skeptical way if you're going to be interested in growth and most people conflate skepticism with cynicism. And we do not do that in this practice. We are very clear about what skepticism is. In 2004, we began the series of questions. By 2006, we had started testing stuff, a lot of stuff, what works, what doesn't work. We had, and when I say we, it was me at this point by myself. I had sort of stepped off of Robert's lineage at that point, sort of come out of the closet in my classes. I stopped teaching shoulder stands and headstands. I stopped in 2006. I stopped teaching tailbone tucking and back flattening completely. Uh, no slouching. No s- squeezing your buns. No throwing your hips forward. No cat. No child's pose, and no shoulder stands. Right. No slouching. The rationale for that is really one of the things I we w- will love talking about in this podcast. So just to give you that sort of overview, I was an artist who ruined his body. I came. To, I was really, really lucky to be introduced to Robert. Uh, I'd be standing here in Houston, Texas. Fell in love with. His style, movement in general, was still failed by his style and movement in general and have spent that time this last more than 15 years trying to question everything and incorporate everything that works and doesn't work and study every style and steal from the best and expurgate and edit and and evolve. And so we call it an evolutionary style of yoga. We think it's revolutionary, And we think if you come to a class, you'll notice the difference. If you come to a class, it's a bunch of normal people in the level one classes. And in my level three classes, it's literally the strongest people in the city. And so we teach every body at every stage, every possible body issue. My private lesson clientele is average age is over 75. And I just finished teaching a class here at the studio that (laughs) like, it looks like I'm it looks like i'm i'm upset at the students uh how hard everything is i'm we're all laughing the whole time but it's just it's kind of crazy the stuff we work on we love inquiry we're huge into questions we lock so down with questions for sure, for sure. and when you collect questions like we do it helps clarify things it seems weird saying that if you collect questions you'll you have better answers but think about what happens when you come up with a good answer. You search Google and you say, okay, what's the answer to this thing? You have the answer. Well, you're satiated. You're satisfied. You stop actually looking. You stop asking. You stop poking around. And we collect questions. And we don't just stop when we get good answers. But it turns out that if you kind of ride the question longer and keep coming back to it, your answers always grow with you. You get better and better at everything that you question. And so when we were looking at, okay, how can we make the biggest difference for people's health. The teacher training was an obvious example. I can't teach everybody, but if I can teach you to teach, right, and we're leveraging the ability to make a difference with this style, I don't have to make all the money. It's like, other people can make some money. It's like, if this can empower more people to make money and more people to feel better, like, okay, that's what we're after. And just being clear about small things like that and willing to take the time to ask the questions, see what's true for us right now, keep asking the questions. Do oh, it's spoon. time. <laughs> well, I'm curious. Uh, what's your favorite joke of the week so far? Hmm? I got a fart. So here's my first and worst joke from the last class. Technically, every meal you eat is breaking a fast. So pancakes?
1: What? I don't get it. <laughs> oh, because you're it's, breaking a fast. A... So because you can eat a pancake after you break a fast? breakfast. I understand that part. What I'm saying is that why is pancake funny?
0: You're fun. Not.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just really trying to make sure I understand this joke before I start giving my laughter to it.
0: The second joke from this morning was, uh, what's the hippest replacement? That's all I said. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. And then why did Joe get his right knee replaced? Hmm. It was knee dead.
1: Nice. Okay, you remember my favorite joke, circa two years ago? Okay. All right. There was this bird, and he could do a lot of fancy tricks.
0: Just so you know, people can't see your eyebrows go up when you say things like "bird." And when I
1: say you don't I mean my <laughs> language, does like communicate, my eyebrows just your raised? mouth sounds do. <laughs> so there was a bird, a male bird. What
0: was the bird's name?
1: I can't tell you yet.
0: Okay. It was a flamingo moment. <laughs> flamingo.
1: <laughs> flamingo. Speaking of birds. So there was a dude bird and he was pretty good at doing tricks. Hmm. Ask your question now.
0: Okay. You need to you need to give me the setup again.
1: Okay. Well, you just asked earlier what was this? I know, you, know what okay. my job
0: is. I need to know what the use is. You hear about
1: the bird. It was a... Eagle?
0: An eagle bird. Get out see your eyebrows go oh. Sorry.
1: <laughs> there was an eagle bird and it, it was very good at doing tricks.
0: What was its name? What was his name?
1: Talented.
0: Talented. That is not the joke. Ah. Uh, <laughs> but it's good. What's
1: the joke?
0: And it was fine.
1: Really, Look, you're not any fun. You took
0: my joke. You says you got to I said circa. Okay, <laughs>
1: you got it. <laughs> I said circa. That's the best I can remember it. It always pops into my head because I always think of it and I can never tell it. What's the real joke?
0: Oh, you got it. Did you hear Theodore the owl wanna? That's right. <laughs> uh, is really skilled in juggling. <laughs> <laughs> you say Theodore, and then skills at something. Talented.
1: That was very That's worth the correction. <laughs> <laughs> I did forget the Theodore part.
0: Alvin Simon. Theodore. Do, 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 went fourths do, for some
1: Do, 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 I don't know the do's.
0: That was, was good.
1: But did I already tell my favorite Bruce Lee joke? No. Okay. That is definitely top Andrea, of the list.
0: what is your favorite Bruce Lee joke?
1: I'll tell you. Did you hear that uh Bruce Lee has a vegetarian brother?
0: What's his vegetarian brother's name? Bronco. I Eyebrows it.
1: Head nodding, <laughs> that's right. You gotta put the first and the last name together.
0: And then it'll make better sense in oh, case you missed it. Thanks for that. I needed that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay, I just got one other joke.
0: All right, thanks to Jen Watson for that one.
1: Okay, why did Adele cross the road? Why? To say hello from the other side. I'm scared to sing because yeah, you your can't. eyebrows are gonna raise.
0: <laughs> your eyebrows already are already up. Plus, we'd have to pay royalties if you sing any longer. Uh, uh, do you want to hear the worst room from last night? I told you this before.
1: I'm nodding my head
0: uh when you dump out a tin of beans and you put a river dwelling rodent in it why is it so pessimistic because it's a can otter
1: okay you're gonna have to say that again
0: when you dump out a tin of beans
1: okay a tin of beans is dumped out
0: so it's an empty tin of beans okay. and you put a river dwelling rodent in it why is it so cynical why is it so pessimistic?
1: Because it's a can-otter, and it's also can Nice. That's crazy. Where did that even come from?
0: I said the word cannot. I said no, I said the word can't. And I was making fun of all those people who say that, because all these pseudoscientific, silly people say, oh, human beings cannot possibly process negatives. And so you have to, it's like, what a what a dumb position. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> that when I say, don't pick your nose.
1: You're gonna pick your nose.
0: That humans can't hear the don't. It's like, no, like, okay, I'm bringing up pick- nose picking, so now you're thinking about nose picking, but you can fucking hear the don't. Like, it's, so, it's such a silly, pseudoscientific nonsense thing that we all just sort of well, buy they, into. But there's,
1: there's probably some kind of truth in there,
0: right? But that, no, but it's, it turns into this global statement oh, that yeah, humans yeah. can't, and then I made fun of it because I said, don't sing, uh, don't do a thing, and then I said, oh, wait, no, humans can't hear negations, and then, okay, don't not do that. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I looked at one of the students in class in the eyes and said, don't do this thing, and then she did it, and <laughs> I was like, oh, no, I guess they can't hear. <laughs> oh, that's funny.
1: I feel like that's also where I've heard the, the context for that specifically is around kids when you are instructing a kid
0: yes if you're trying if you're wanting full compliance in all things saying things positively will be more effective right because it tells them what to do mhm but humans can fucking hear negations and not all human behavior is driven by doing the opposite of what you hear some people do but not all like everyone yeah. has a tendency to give somebody the middle finger but like that's not <laughs>
1: Damn, you heard my tummy? tummy I had something to (laughs) say. My (laughs) tummy was like, I agree.
0: (laughs) I'm a water fountain. All right. So I'm years into this inquiry. I transformed how I practice. I'm not getting injured anymore. It's kind of this amazing experience, but there's a lot of still a lot that I don't know. It's mostly unanswered questions at this point. And that's. Exciting and also frustrating, and I, I'm I use frustration as a motivation. So I'm working and developing, and it's becoming clearer. I'm I'm becoming more bold, uh, and how I would say things. Uh, 2006, I would have said, when it comes to tailbone tucking, everybody has their path. You're all on your own journey. Uh, you do what works for you. Uh, you're I'm here to help, and so if it was, and if you're willing to give it a shot. Give it a shot. If not, no big deal. By two thousand twelve, uh, I sound a little bit more like I do now. Although I don't, I'm not quite as strident. Uh, two thousand twelve, I would say, uh, tailbone tucking and back flattening is ruin your spine. So that's why we don't teach it. And that's that's the sentence. That's I've, it's, I'm not I'm not tiptoeing around anything. Here's our position. Here's what we know makes a difference, and we are fully aware that uh, everybody that teaches yoga right now and everybody, everyone else who teaches any other discipline disagrees with us. We understand people don't agree with us. Okay, great. But that's we're not other people. You're paying us to talk right now. And we know more and more every year that slouching is ruining your spine. And things like tailbone tucking and back flattening are just yoga-sanctioned slouching. At the end of every show, we do a segment called Andrew's Obsessions uh, until I decided to name it something else. Yoga was just one of my obsessions, and that's sort of how it works these days. I get super into something, and lo and behold, somebody wants to pay me some money to do it, and then I do that for a little bit. Yoga is just the thing that I've sort of done the longest professionally. I've done lots of different things. I decided in 2007, uh to start learning to dance tango argentine tango the social dance not the ballroom dance and i got obsessed within six months i was teaching uh within a year i was traveling the country and i met this lady there dancing tango she was not a yogi as a matter of fact she hated yoga as a matter of fact she was a fitness instructor and as another fact a matter she you could actually say that She was top 10 least flexible people I've ever worked with. She wiggles her eyebrows. You can see that on the podcast. Sort of love at first sight. I was not love at first sight for her. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd like to introduce you to my wife. Co-business owner, co-founder of The Style, The Studio. She's my muse. She, if I could quit talking to all you guys and stop teaching yoga and just like stare at her face for the rest of my life, I would totally do that. Sorry, guys. So... Uh, she is the reason we have a studio. She is the reason, really. We kind of have a style. And I, what I tell people, uh, and you'll get to know her through the podcast. But what I tell people is that people take my teacher training for me. They they register, but they stay for her. Uh, she's in every she are in our eleventh teacher training, and this is her eleventh teacher training. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first of all, uh, before we just a tiny bit of backstory about who the hell are you and why you do what you do. Uh, why do you take the course every time?
1: I take the course because I really enjoy being in the same room with you, really. That's my favorite part. Secondarily, all the stuff we talk about, I learn something new about it. It's never the same course because there's different people in it. And then there's the people in it. And I love getting to know the kinds of people that do our teacher training. They tend to be pretty awesome.
0: Tend to. Tend to. There's those the exceptions. You know who you are. Yes. <laughs> and so this is my wife, Andrea Duga. My name is Andrew, her name is Andrea. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll get it, it took me about a year <laughs> to, to be able I to say I guess
1: I had a best friend in high school and her name was Andrea, so I had it down.
0: Tell us about like why you do yoga, what brought you to yoga other than you know tango. Like if you had some stretching experience, you literally moved your body professionally. What did you do before yoga?
1: Before yoga, so we're we talking about from birth. Yeah. <laughs> well, Other than poop yourself that, and be that's yourself. my first few months. few years, probably. A couple years. I was in college. I <gasps> I did college. I was a cheerleader all through junior high, all through high school, and then I ended up cheering in college. And I remember distinctly having a thought uh, in seventh grade, my friend Allie and I were sitting in her living room, and she was sitting there in side splits, and she was stretching, and I was sitting on the opposite side of the room from her, sort of probably slouching, sitting in a chair, thinking, wow, she's so lucky.
0: <laughs>
1: it did, literally did not occur to me that I could be more flexible. So I've, yeah. I, I went my whole life thinking you were just lucky and got to be flexible or not. So that sets the tone for how much I enjoyed <laughs> yoga. Yeah. U of H, I got a degree in exercise science and a minor in nutrition. And that led me to being a personal trainer. Uh, I did some management and training at the Houstonian in the fitness center. And if you would have asked me about yoga in any moment, really before five years after we met, (laughs) I would have said something very, almost probably condescending a little bit like, yeah, yoga's a great supplement to the real exercise which is running and lifting weights and sprinting, which I love that stuff. But lo and behold, no stretching and only doing fitness, I noticed a decline on my mobility, my ability to trust my body, um, and I found I was getting injured pretty regularly.
0: And you were in pain.
1: Well, that that was, um, yes, I was in pain, but the pain did not happen until, oh, there, was, there was a time when the decline was happening and then I started feeling the pain I felt, or I was aware of it. Yeah. It, it kind of felt like it was nothing and then a whole lot.
0: Yeah, we call it a state change. A state change. You did, you, it was there, you just couldn't feel it.
1: I just couldn't feel it. And I knew, I had been to a couple of your classes, and they were fine. <laughs> but what I really liked about them wasn't necessarily the class itself, but how I felt afterwards. I felt really great afterwards. That didn't bring me back initially. I think I maybe did two two other classes. I really liked it. I really wanted to come back, but it wasn't. It hadn't reached the threshold to which I would actually go. The thing that I more liked even than that was that for the first time ever, ever, even in college, even all the trainers I had been around in every they we to be a trainer at the Houstonian. It's pretty rigorous. You have to have a college degree. You have to get these certifications and they're not easy tests to take. I have been around so many people. When I would talk, when you talked, I could tell you knew what you were talking about. And I literally, I had, by this point, because I have scoliosis, usually people have certain issues. Like it goes left, right, left, right. But mine was all on the right side. And it, like, boggled everyone's mind. I went to did muscle <laughs> activation therapy. I went and got MRIs on my shoulder. And I remember one of the doctors I went to had me sit on the corner of the medical table. He had me put my hands on either side of the corner of the table and push down and pick my butt up off the table. And, like, he was looking at my right shoulder to see something. I don't know what. But basically the consensus was like, hmm, yeah. can't help you. Like when I would do bicep curls, I could lift 20 pounds. My left shoulder would stay down when I lift the 20 pounds. And the right arm, my right, my right scapula, scapula would elevate slightly. Mm-hmm. And it was like I would, the momentum of my shoulder up, I'd swing the weight up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's weird. My arms are different. <laughs> it, but it didn't connect the dot that it wasn't supposed to be like that. Second, whatever number we're on, <laughs> I really had the sense that you know what you're talking about. And further, I really got how everyone else I had talked to really were kind of guessing. Right. There are a lot of guesses. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Fast forward. I had always wanted to do more classes. Caravaggio was 18 months. And I believe this was 2014. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had gone to Europe. You were writing the course. I was really excited about it because I wanted to know what you know because obviously we're together now we have baby we're (laughs) married I know that you have I know that there's love and there's thoughtfulness and there's rigor and the thinking I have seen you go through shelves of books anatomy books either cursing or (laughs) you know like oh my gosh incredulous Um, so I know the quality that you bring to this conversation and I love movement I love it so much. I love knowing. Do you like
0: bowel movement?
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> <Yeah. It's> gross. <laughs> I don't do that.
0: What about bowl movement? Screep, scoop, scoop. scoop <laughs> you scoop, said scoop. bowl? <laughs> <laughs> bowl. <laughs> <laughs> what about vowel movement? What about, <laughs>
1: what about owl movement? Ooh.
0: Ooh. 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 <laughs> <laughs> what about <laughs> towel movement? okay so you want to know what I knew yeah because I'm yeah, so barely yeah
1: but my idea was I wasn't I had like when I say I wasn't interested in teaching yoga I was not interested in teaching yoga there was zero like I, I everyone used to always like oh I can see you being a fitness a group instructor I was like heck no I cannot That <laughs> feels so embarrassing I remember Come you on everybody
0: you got you tried to get a job at, Wy- at the YMCA. Dude, oh, that was so
1: awkward. I can't even. Oh, that was so embarrassing.
0: <laughs> She's checking her pulse. <laughs> yes, that was
1: it's, it's all coming back. It's all coming back to me now. Little Celine.
0: So you knew you weren't going to teach yoga.
1: Oh, yes. I was not going to teach yoga. My idea, I had, this name was already taken. But my idea is that I would become the the yoga ninja.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Where I taught fitness And without them knowing, I just snuck some yoga in there. Snick. Snick it. So a little mishmash of the two. I did that for some time. Uh, In the the teacher training, I started teaching my parents. Uh, That was really amazing. My dad would last for five minutes. He'd get up and walk out the door. He was done. But I'll take the five minutes. Well,
0: so, okay, let me recap this. So first of all, just so you guys know, we love story, lineage, we're collectors of thinking, we are, we're connoisseurs of all kinds of stuff, and context and contextualization like pr- perspective is so helpful and important. This is a person who knew that you are, as, you are only as flexible as you are, period, full stop and all you worked on was getting inflexible and dysfunctional, you looked for answers, you didn't find answers, sort of trapped, stuck in this thinking. You knew you didn't even really like yoga, but you knew that you could tell that I was effective, even if it didn't quite work for you. You and I get together, you you Mm -hmm. skip some stuff because uh, there's five years oh yeah there's five years of our relationship it, all of this winds up with her with this woman sitting in front of me is uh, one of the highest trained most effective yoga teachers in the world when you teach yoga in Houston you are already in I mean yoga teachers are dime a dozen even in a place like Houston but Houston's got some special some special sauce that we'll talk about if you're hot shit yoga instructor in Houston you're a hot shit yoga instructor in the world that's just a fact so and and why that is is kind of interesting interesting so she she chooses this guy this kind of insane uh, polymath uh, obsessive not particularly stable (laughs) Uh, but but effective at many disciplines we fell in love over dance I am a very effective dancer. I am a musician. She's a musician. <laughs> a very effective dancer. I, I dance your I, ass off. You did.
1: <laughs> I. I'm effective dancer. I
0: get dancing <laughs> done. <laughs> Watch out, everybody. <laughs> yeah. I. The proof. I have. I've proved myself. You know. To. To be effective. At these things. that you, you know. There's evidence in your life that. Okay. Maybe this guy's trustworthy with this thing and maybe might—maybe I can suspend my disbelief. I don't believe it but there's some, may be something there. Except I made a promise to you when we first got together. Yes you did. What was that promise?
1: You're not my teacher.
0: So I promised that I wasn't your teacher. Mm-hmm. Which on the face of it seems like I'm being a stingy asshole that I am uh, just not gonna gonna teacher. You. You're below me or some weird power thing. But for me, it was just very simple. I teach all day. I kind of have to be sort of dominant and assertive. Like, you, I literally tell people what to do all day. Like, there's no subtlety. Like, I literally say, take your arms up. I'm tell, I'm telling people to stand up, sit down, lie down. I tell you when to breathe. I'm literally controlling everything people do for hours and hours every week. It's kind of insane. And... I knew I didn't want that in, I knew I didn't want that in my life, outside of class. I do that enough in class. The other thing is, it's really annoying to be taught at. One of the promises we have in our style, if you teach for us, you actually make a promise that you don't teach at, coach at, advise at, or help at other human beings. And that is trying, it's, it's teaching people who haven't asked you to be taught. And so when I say I'm not your teacher, I'm not just going to teach at you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If you ask me for help, I will help you, for sure. But that's very different than I know it's better for you, so I'm going to be in your face telling you what you should do. That's not going to happen. And so that was my promise. I'm not going to do that. And what did that look like for five years?
1: Me complaining and you saying, hmm, well, I know a guy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that was, it was kind of nice, but also super annoying. A little
1: bit, yeah, because I would have, there's a part of me at least that would have wanted you to make me. A, a lot of parts of me probably <laughs> so, yeah.
0: for, so for five years you didn't do yoga. You, you would often cry yourself to sleep from the discomfort in your shoulders and your hips. Mm-hmm. You had two babies, not particularly easy births. So I do this teacher training. You knew you liked me, right? We're married by this point.
1: Pretty much, <laughs> just kidding, yes. <laughs>
0: reasonably confident you like me. And so there was a kind of like, I'll do the course just to like be in the room. I've been working hard on this thing. What I work on is kind of interesting. It's exciting to do this new thing, right? And so of course you're gonna be in the room, but you know you don't wanna teach yoga. And now that's the that's the context. It's five years of not yoga, suffering this like weird thing where she's married to a yoga instructor, who for, has every evidence that could help her <laughs> with her pain, but has made this promise where he's not gonna be her teacher, which means she has to drink from the fucking river. That's it.
1: What does that mean?
0: You, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't oh, make it drink. Yeah, She's yeah. gotta do the work. She's gotta do it. And I'm not gonna do it for her, but I've also promised to love her no matter what she does. You don't have to do yoga. I married you without yoga. So. Now you're a few months in the teacher training. I've given some assignments to teach some people to, you know, start a class or whatever. Your parents live in the woodlands. So for, for perspective, the woodlands to Houston is like Berkeley to the San Francisco airport. It is fucking far away. Right? It is not, they are not casually close. They're not the same city. They're not the same county it is far away that's where your parents live we live in the city our studio is right our house is farther away from downtown and you made your parents drive to our house
1: well they would i, it would, I would plan it whenever they, shoot, they were coming to get the kids
0: okay so they're coming to get the kids they're driving and it's an hour it's and so they drive an hour and you're like you're you don't say hey would you like to do yoga
1: <laughs> well i did i did ask them i, I did tell them I I would not have made them do it.
0: You made them do it. I mean... mean, Judging by the looks on their faces, that was not voluntary.
1: That was... (laughs) That's what voluntary looks like. I'm afraid to say it. I mean, my dad left after five minutes, so, you know. Yeah.
0: I mean, these people are in my... We have a little room in the front of our house where we teach out of, and this is... Just imagine, like, some very proper person hearing somebody fart blatantly in public, like... (laughs) That's the face. And then they smell it. Like that moment, they smell like mmm, Like that's... That's...
1: It, it really, yeah. honestly, it was really more my father. yeah, was a much better participant, a much better willing participant. But you can also...
0: But from they were doing it because they love you.
1: That's why they were doing it.
0: And not because they just thought they could get some bit of it.
1: I don't know. It was a um, hodgepodge, yes. but it wasn't a lot. I would so,
0: say that. So just for example, she's forced her parents. I'm going to say she's yeah, forced. I did not force <laughs> them. I'm gonna, say, I'm gonna say. What I'm trying to say is everyone, you go force your parents to, to, <laughs> to do yoga right now, every single one of you. And I would literally, when we teach, we teach leadership, and we go through all these questions of what to do when people do this, and it's pretty rare. Like every 40 seconds I would hear your father yell, why are we doing this? What am I supposed to feel? And then yeah, he would just like peace out, drop the mic, just
1: drop the mic, <laughs> <laughs> walk out of the room.
0: All right. So this is 2014. You're mm-hmm. um, so, and two things happened. You had a breakthrough with your parents, right? So that's a huge deal.
1: Oh yeah, because I didn't. I let my dad leave. Yeah. I didn't chase him down. I mean, I was like, oh, "Are you sure you don't want to come back?" But I actually. And it was hard because I have some opinions. I had some opinions. Let me help you. You should let me help you. Or also that couple with a fear of not helping them doing this stuff. But that was a big deal to just let them be how they were in our lessons. And by the end of the course, I had done... I mean, I was pretty rigorous with my practice
0: during the course. This is the second breakthrough. The yes, breakthrough This is the second practice. breakthrough.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Fast forward, the course is over, and of course, in my mind, I'm thinking, peace, I'm done. Finish I'm like my line. dad. In five <laughs> minutes of yoga, he's out I'm like I was out. And I promptly quit doing yoga. And it was about two weeks. I woke up, and just like before, I had to like slowly roll myself out of bed till I got my feet under me. And then I'd have to Pull my shoulders down there like. glued to your ears. Like it was like molasses pulling them down. And then I would try to stand up, but my back was sort of hurting. Like it was one of those like sore. It wasn't like sharp pain. It was just like, like creaky. Mm-hmm. And I had to slowly stand up and I was like, whoa, this is what I used to feel like all the time. It was crazy. And that was it.
0: That was it. So that was what it.
1: Well, that's when I really gave into this practice. I, I, I gave up for, I gave up pretending to know.
0: That you could do it without the practice.
1: That I could do it without the practice. Or like I was going to somehow figure it out in a different way.
0: Yeah. Everybody wants to do everything the way they want to do it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's, this is why we say growth is hard. Growth is doing it a different way.
1: Yeah. What do you call it when you do something before life makes you?
0: That's so that's just that sort of maxim from the practice. We say that. Yeah. And we we use it in the conversation of integrity. Integrity is doing things That's right. better now before life makes you. Before
1: life makes me. It was sort of like that also. I didn't know you could stretch and get flexible. I mean, and I'm telling you. Like it's embarrassing. I was in I was out, I was out of college when I was like, "Oh, you can work on it just that seems so dumb to me. But similarly, I did this practice the whole and it wasn't clear to me that there was a huge difference. Yeah. I I mean I felt fine, but it was like, yeah, you know, I just there was room for me to just revert.
0: Yeah.
1: And when I when I woke up whatever morning that was, it was undeniable. Undeniable. And now I know it's like I've which pill does Neo take? He takes a blue one, doesn't he? Hmm. Yeah. It's like I took the blue pill. And
0: you can't go back.
1: I can't go back.
0: So the title of our pedagogy book is "You can't unthink a thought." And you can live in denial the rest of your life and not do anything about it, but you you can't shrink your world again. Mm-mm. You. But the other two truths are you can't you can't know what you don't know until you know it, and you can't feel what you can't feel until you feel it.
1: Right. Well, it's funny. Also, one of the things that Andrew says in the teacher training is. That's th- me. Well, I'm telling them. Okay, fine. One of the things that you t- yourself you can, you can say. Talk, you,
0: can talk. you can have a little private I'm conversation. I'm a private conversation oh, sorry, with our apolo- audience. My apologies. A, uh, I'm going to go for
1: a walk. www.du.
0: D- crunch, crunch, crunch.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Andrew says this in our teacher training. People aren't inflexible until they have an experience and they realize, oh, I'm inflexible. Before that moment it's just life. It's, there's no, they wake up in the morning, there's there's pain there, and it just is the way that it is. And I was teaching one of my classes. This is when we were over in Mecca. And, you know, just to say an aside, the first six months of our, our um, studio being open, there were two people in my class, and those were my parents. <laughs> like, it's faithfully there. And the nice thing about having the studio is that he can't walk out. (laughs) It's different. (laughs) There's other people in the room or the promise of one day other people being in the room. And so my dad had been coming to, he had been coming to classes for a while. At this point, he had a buddy of his start to come to class named Skip. And it was one of Skip's first, I think it was one of his first classes, maybe the second and I hear them on the other side of the room, and my dad is talking to Skip, and he says, man, man I never realized how, how inflexible I was. It's like, it's just neat to see that, yeah. or hear that experience. You know, it seems obvious. Like it was obvious to oh, me wow. I was inflexible. One
0: of the things that I'm excited about us talking about quite a bit is our business. We run our business together. We do everything together. I, we have different jobs. But it's a co creation, just like our parenting. And just, just like our parenting, there's lots of hugs. A lot of lots, hugs. A lot of hugs in our business. You don't want, we don't have, we'll hug you unless you.
1: I mean, I like hugs. You like a <laughs> I do. I don't want to live a life without hugs. It don't wants. hug Andrew, maybe. You can <laughs> hug me.
0: <laughs> so there are many things that we want to accomplish with this podcast, but mainly just for the last 20 years, if we had had a mic in this kind of advanced setup for capturing the sound and capturing the kinds of conversations we had that had developed this, I, I know you would love to hear it. And so we are constantly developing things, but we're also now 20 years into these conversations. And so everything from relationships to uh, mental health, things like diet, we teach everybody. We have more than a dozen physicians that have taken our course. I we teach a lot more physicians outside of that business and of course simple stuff the the simplest kinds of things like back health neck health
1: shoulders knees
0: toes inhalation uh, circulatory system digestion stress all of it we 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 think deeply on these topics there's a a big brain trust of human beings that get together and work on this stuff and that's what we're going to capture Yay. yay is there anything else you'd like to say
1: I would like to say, I think you're wonderful.
0: Are you having a private conversation with the yeah. listener
1: again? Yeah. Wh- wait, you talk just, to me. Well, you said, is there anything I want to say to them, right? Uh, okay. Well, who would... Am I saying something right to, right to you? looking right in
0: my eyes and said, I think you're wonderful. I was like, oh, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm just kidding. I was... Because I'm confused
1: <laughs> of who I'm talking to. I don't know who. Okay. It's just, I like looking at you.
0: Okay. Yeah. No. <laughs> Me too.
1: No. I'm excited about these conversations be out there. The reason I had to start a studio uh, is because I love these conversations, and they make a huge difference. I mean, the, that we talk about failure the way that we do, that there's a, an acknowledgement of the craziness of life and how distracting everything can be and we create places for people to come and be themselves it's just I feel very fortunate that I get to be having these conversations that I got to have that that all led me to where I am now
0: they call him says give him time to be best he'll always learn something new he puts the two two. Into- Uh, For those of you that did not know, my name is Andrew, and Andrew's Obsessions, just a simple little segment where we look at all the places uh, that I am currently obsessed about a thing. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a prodigy. It's pretty embarrassing thinking about the intensity with which I was hoping that that would be true. I was basically always waiting to be discovered, like, is it math? Is it... (laughs) Is it, you know, language or something? You know, I eight rolls around, now I'm nine, now I'm ten. Turned out to be pretty darn good at music. And in some ways was kind of prodigious there. You, you want to get like how kind of crazy that is. And it's 100% from a movie, from this Jodie Foster movie called Little Man Tate. I was about his age when I saw it. I see this movie, I'm hoping to be a genius, and I kind of... You know, my sister is seven years older than me. And so compared to, you know, seven years when you're in your 40s is nothing. Seven years when you're seven is double your age. It's, it is a different species. And so everything my sister did was amazing, was the best. And she was actually really good at most of the stuff she did objectively in her age group. <laughs> but for me, it was like having a genius in the house. Uh, with music, with, you know, she did the academic decathlon. She was a decathlete with mathletes. I just remember remember growing up, our living room wall, we had this kind of, it was like a velour, velvety, um, flower-printed, tan and brown couch against the long wall of our living room facing the TV. Above the couch, the entire wall along the length of the living room was covered with framed certificates of achievement for my sister a student perfect attendance this award that award and um, I actually remember looking at it and being just purely amazed like just the true magnificence of it was amazing until I realized it was all my sister and I asked like what about me where are my awards like I had done anything as a seven-year-old, and I remember my my parents framed a thing and put it up, and I remember being proud of the framed thing. Well, I found that framed thing recently, and it was a reading award for first grade. In retrospect, it's embarrassing. It's, it's beautiful for me to sort of go back and look at how this stuff shaped me. And in one of the ways it shaped me is I sort of, you know, my father was... In his own way, a genius at everything he did. He really was one of the f- most elite marksmen of his day. Uh, there are very few people who could shoot a rifle or a pistol better than him. And his encyclopedic knowledge of everything firearms. And of course, he was a jet engine mechanic, which meant he could work and fix on anything. He c- and he was v- always demonstrating this sort of prodigious ability to learn new things to truly understand how systems work, to go through and read the manual, to become sort of an expert at all the different disciplines that you engage in. My mother is a teacher. She was a, a high school teacher, AP English and world history for 33 years. And so learning and expertise and mastery and badassery, that's sort of just the environment I grew up in. And so when I do things, I I call them obsessions, you would probably call them hobbies. I call them obsessions to differentiate them. And every podcast will look at a different one or whatever was the most current one or one of the ones that sort of has stuck. The one we're looking at today is fountain pens. So right now I'm writing with a platinum president and it's their sort of flagship fountain pen. For those of you that listened to the Write Love Month podcast a few years ago, you know how writing letters, handwritten letters to people Kind of difference we th- we know that that makes in our in ourselves and our relationship with other people. And fountain pens are just sort of these nice. What an old technology these are! <laughs> and, and the the best description I've ever heard of them is that they're con- fountain pens are a controlled leak. They are just leaking ink, and yet we figured out a way to control it. And they end up kind of being these sort of beautiful obsessions. People get very obsessed with them, just like anything. You can collect them. I have a small collection, um, but. I write with them every day. There are very few times I don't write with a fountain pen. I take notes with a fountain pen, I write courses with fountain pens. Uh, I have my favorites, but my favorites, I have like 20 favorites. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so if you love fountain pens, uh, we'll have a picture of this fountain pen and maybe a few of my others. We'll have some links to my favorite fountain pens in the description. If you've never been to the website, you can check the website and look at our podcast page for all the show notes. So right now, let's see here. Oh, I'm only carrying two. I normally have at least three different fountain pens. There's a few things I really love about them, other than just the writing experience. I love watercolor aesthetic. Watercolor was an obsession that we had last year that we'll talk about in future episodes. And so watercolor is a matte colorizing thing. So you put watercolor on paper, it's not glossy. The, The texture of the paper shines through. Fountain pens are like that, and so you get to sort of pick these different, these inks with all these different qualities. You have nibs that give different sized lines, and then based on how you write and how you like the nib to feel on the paper, uh, you choose different pens, and then of course there's the paper. And so there's, there's three things that go into fountain pens. You got the pen, you got the ink, and you got the paper, and the second you dip, you, I want to caution you, the second you dip your big toe into fountain pens, you got to deal with all three. So you got to get the nice pen, the the pen that you're super excited about. Well, then you got to get, we have what what one might call uh, too many inks. And then you have to have good paper. So I I only take notes on good paper. Our second best paper in the whole wide world that we love is just the regular Rhodia blank uh, A5 pads. So the A5, the number 16, I literally wrote my entire pedagogy book, postures book, anatomy. Uh, Every workshop is written on Rhodia blank A5 pen it works great for every kind of nib and ink so this i have my platinum president it's in the red sort of corally red and i have a pilot vanishing point i never thought i would like the pilot vanishing points in a bold they're both in bold vanishing point is a is a clicky clicker and it looks very silly and you have the clip at your fingers but i have to say i made the mistake of writing with one and yeah, that's so good, so good. And we got, actually, and just for those nerds, we gotta talk about the Triumvirate. Uh, the ink in this, in my platinum, is Sailor Sailor, which is an embarrassing, expensive ink. It's, but it's the prettiest blue ink you've ever seen. And the Pilot, Pilot is my favorite pen company, is Jade Noir, Monteverdi Jade Noir. Very, very inexpensive and absolutely beautiful sort of dark forest green, almost looks black. Now, uh, next week, my wife will have her birthday. Last year was her 40th birthday, so you do the math what birthday it is this year. And on our 40th, uh, we got a fountain pens a few years ago. You know, I bought my first fountain, fountain pen maybe three, four years ago. My first fountain pen that I wrote with three years ago, the Pilot 823. And that's, I wrote most of, most of my courses with that. Holy moly, a most excellent pen. And I started getting Andrea into pins. One of the things that's so fun about any kind of these you know, a weird obsession-y kind of hobbies is finding other people that like it also and being able to talk about it. There's a store here in Houston, Texas called Drum Ghouls. We actually have a fountain pen store here in Houston. It is, just, it is a fountain pen store and everything, all things fountain pen and pen-related and writing instruments. And the owners there are most excellent. We love them uh, we're friends of the store. Being able to sort of share this with my wife is probably my favorite thing. I love fountain pens. I would write with them, even if I was single. My wife's birthday's coming up. She's got a few new fountain pens coming down the line that I I bought almost a year ago for this birthday. If you've never tried it, uh, obviously you should stay away because it is a rabbit hole. If you have terrible handwriting, uh, welcome to the club, and you can work on that. And that's one of my obsessions, is actually working on penmanship and learning uh, calligraphy and script. And figuring out how to control your hands. If you ever play music, yeah, you control your hands to play music. Okay, great. Control your hand to write a legible A. <laughs> lowercase A. How are you gonna write that in lowercase A? That minuscule. Legibly. Thank you guys. It's always fun to share obsessions. Well, I'm having fun. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank you for your ears and your generosity. Keep thinking, keep practicing, and...
1: Bye! <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Thanks for listening.